Hi, this is Pastor Don from Perry Hall Family Worship Center. I'm so glad that you joined into our service today. We are blessed that you are part of it. And you know, my prayer for you is this, that you will be blessed, you'll be encouraged, and most of all, you'll be challenged by the Word of God today. So just get ready and join into the services. Service has already begun. God bless you. Well, good morning. Hard to believe we're in June, isn't it? Man. Just past Memorial Day, and schools were letting out, and we had a busy week. Uh, my 13th grandchild was born Tuesday, and then my first grandchild graduated high school Saturday, and both of them were miracles, believe me, because <laughs> we really didn't think one was going to graduate high school, so <laughs> we thank him for that. We thank the Lord for that. He might go on to be a doctor. I don't know, but he had a tough time in high school. I can say it because he's not here. He was supposed to be here, and he's not, so I can talk about him. <laughs> so Pastor was just talking about parables. We're going to do an eight-week study Wednesday night on the parables. And so he asked me to get an introduction going here, and we can talk about the parables today, and then hopefully it'll lead right into the next eight weeks because parables were important. Jesus used parables a lot. Depending on the list you see, you can see anywhere from 45 to 39 parables Jesus used. Sometimes people combine them, sometimes they don't. But there was parables he did. He did them. He started at a specific time. He started using parables. Jesus was by far no if, ands, or buts, the greatest teacher ever to walk the face of the earth. And if you ever just want to take a look at plain, simple teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, so great. It shows us who we are. It shows us how we should be. It talks to us about divorce, about adultery, about giving, about fasting, about praying. He touches all that. He also talks about the narrow road and the thin road, the, the, the wide road. He talks about the house built on the sand and the house built on a good foundation. And we just see great teaching. But he took a turn after that, after that, because he had a reason to. And we're going to talk about that. He this was the greatest ever to preach. But we see John 6, we see where Jesus was teaching all about who he is and what was going to happen. And a lot of the people that were following him, they didn't want to follow him anymore. And in fact, one of the worst scriptures in in Bible, not that it's ever a bad one, but John six 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 always said uh, said that a lot of his disciples did not walk with him anymore, but turned away. When he said, "You're going to have to drink my blood. You're going to have to eat my body," meaning you're going to have to be like me. You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to totally commit yourself to me. Many of them no longer followed him, but I like the verses right after that, where he, uh, he says to his disciples, he says, um. um who do you say that I am? And Jesus, oh, you're going to walk away too. And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knew who he was. He was close to him. He knew who he was. And he knew who to look for. So when we get into these parables, and we're going to start off in Mark 4 today, which is the great parable to start with. But we're going to see where he taught these parables for a reason. But first off, let's talk a little bit about parables. Parables were in the Old Testament. You know, one of the best 
well, not the best, but one of the easiest recognized parables of the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan tells David the story about a man that had a whole bunch of stuff and wanted one other thing and wanted to use that other person's thing. And David said, who is this person? He doesn't belong in my kingdom. He says, you are that person. So we see this parable in the Old Testament showing judgment. And, you know, David realized it, he saw it, and he repented of it. And he realized what it was, that he was the one. But the word parable itself is, you know, we, we have that first word para, which means to be beside, which means to, you know, we have paralegals that work beside lawyers. We have parachutes that hopefully help you when you jump out of an airplane. <laughs> we have paramedics that actually help out doctors, that work right beside doctors. They, they do things that doctors do, but they're right beside a medical doctor. We have paraministries that work right beside other ministries. So to be a para is to be beside. So it's a story that's beside. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus' parables. When a, when a preacher tells a story, it's usually to reveal something. It's usually to show you how to explain something that we want to show you in Scripture that maybe telling you a story of today's time is, makes you understand it better. But that's not why Jesus went to parables. And we're going to see that when we get into scriptures. He wanted to conceal and not reveal. So he was actually doing the exact opposite of what we do. But let's remember, let's set the, let's set the stage here. Israel is all about the Messiah coming at the time that Jesus was born. They were all about it. They all, they all knew Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 45. And they all knew all the prophecies that were coming. So they were looking for the Messiah to come. That was what Israel was all about. So they were waiting for the Messiah to arrive. Well, then he shows up. John the Baptist foretells of him coming. <clears throat> he comes into the world. Everyone that's around sees him. He has dominion over disease. Literally, if you read a lot of commentaries, they will tell you that Jesus went around and healed. And as far as they can tell... Everyone that was close enough to him or was in that area was healed, that wanted to be healed. He literally wiped out disease. That's supernatural. That means you've got to be from something beyond what you are. He also cast out demons. Let's remember we had 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament where demons ran pretty free. And they found a lot of good resting places in people. They were demon-possessed people all around. The demons not only recognized him, they feared him, they ran from him, and he cast them out on a regular basis. <clears throat> so he had, dominion, he had dominion over disease, and he had dominion over the demons. He also had dominion over death. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised a couple others from the dead. He raised from the dead, so death had no dominion over him. Had that be supernatural power that he had to have? He even had power over nature. Did he not get in the boat, the big storm? He gets up and the storm's calmed. He calms the storm right down. He walks on water. He had power over nature. This is all, everyone witnessed all these things happening. He also had the power over food. I like that. He created food. I like that a lot. He took a little kid's lunch and he fed 5,000 men, women, and children. And then had more baskets of fruit, food left over than the little boy had given to begin with. So he had mastered over food. You never had to go hungry physically because he mastered that. <clears throat> he could read minds. He knew what people thought 
before they could even say a word. He already knew their thoughts and knew what to give them the answer before they asked. And then, of course, he also saw what went on in the temple. He cleansed the temple. He went in there with a whip and took them out. They were all, their hearts were in the wrong spot. They were doing the wrong things. He cleaned them out. So all these supernatural things going on each and every day, not to mention the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth was teaching. So what did the religious leaders say? They say, he's from Beelzebub. He's from Satan. They could not see Jesus for who he was. They knew all the prophecies, and they saw the things he did, but they chose not to believe. They chose to cloud their to cloud their view with what they wanted to believe. They could not believe he was the Messiah. And so they chose not to. So they see all this happen all the time, and they still chose not to believe him. So he says, I'm going to start talking in parables. So as we get ready to talk about this first parable, and it's going to be in Mark 4, I want you to realize a couple things. This parable is about evangelism. And I've said it from up here before. We are all called to be evangelists, but we, all, we are all called to evangelize. And we need to evangelize in our, heart, in our hearts and our souls constantly on a regular basis. Our lives need to show Christ. We need to evangelize when we're not even evangelizing. So that's so important. Remember as a Christian, we come in here and we sing we praise God. We praise God each and every day, I hope, not just here. We worship God. We do all these things. But when we're in heaven, we're going to worship God every day. We're going to praise God every day. And we're going to sing, and in my case, will be a much better voice when I'm in heaven, I'm sure. We're going to sing to the Lord every day. We're going to do these things. We're going to have fellowship with fellow believers each and every day when we're in heaven. But you know one thing we're not going to do as Christians in heaven? Evangelize. It's no longer going to be needed. That's why we need to evangelize so much here on earth. Because we want heaven as filled as possible. The Lord wants it filled and we want it filled. So we need to work on those other things I'm talking about. The worship, the praise, the prayer. All these things are so important. But when you do that, the evangelizing comes naturally. It flows. So Jesus, he's going to start talking in, in parables and stories, and he's not going to tell the masses what they mean. And the first one he talks about is about evangelism. Well, let's look. I want to look at the first um, nine verses. We'll get them uh, started, and I'll go through them a little bit, and then we'll continue. Uh, Mark 4, verse 1 says, And again he began to teach by the sea, and the great multitudes were gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and set it in the, on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground. And they did not have much earth. And immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up and it was and it scorched, it became, it scorched and because it had no roots, it withered away. 
And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. He said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, let's talk about just what he's saying right there. First off, the crowd's so big that it forces him to the shoreline that he has to get in a boat and get away from him in order for everybody to hear him. So we got a big crowd. We got a big crowd following him. And basically they're following him because he's feeding them and because he's healing them and because he's doing a lot of good things showing who he is. <clears throat> so they get, he gets in the boat and he goes out and he says, um, he taught them many things by parables in verse two. And he said to them, he said to them teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now in Israel at that time, it was agricultural. Most people knew what a sower does. And that sower at that time, he took a bag and he put it, he had a strap on, he put it around his, his shoulder and he'd go out into the field and he would throw the seed around called that broadcast seeding. I know uh, I have a seeder at home that broadcasts it, spreads it out. That allows me to hit more rows when I seed. And so that's what he did. He's just going out and he's spreading the seed around. Very common thing that happened. Very common thing. Happened all the time. Everyone could understand that. And so we see that he had, he said he went out and spread the seed. And lo and behold, and then verse four says, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came, the birds of the air came and devoured it. Once again, have you ever seen that happen? I don't know about you, but I planted grass seed before and didn't have a chance to put hay down or anything. And I'd go out the next day and half of it would be gone because the birds would come down and get it. Unless it's in the ground or unless it's covered with something that they can't do it, they will come down and eat it. And that's what happens when, when you plant seeds. <clears throat> Some fell on stormy ground, stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprung up because it had no depth of earth. They say in Israel that stony ground means there's a limestone, hard limestone underneath. You have a little bit of soil, and then there's a hard rock limestone underneath. They, I was reading one commentary that said that the, that the rabbis of that time used to say when the Lord created the earth, he threw most of the rocks on Israel because it was so rocky. And so there was sometimes a thin layer of, of dirt on top of a rock. So, the, so it can go down, start to grow, look really good. Once again, if you've ever planted anything, the ones that are growing the biggest, the quickest, are usually the ones that don't have any roots. And usually what happens is, the uh, verse 6 says, when the sun come up and it scorched them, it had no roots and it withered away. So the next one says, and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it, and it yielded no crop. I was never one big for weeding my garden. And early on when I would plant my gardens, I would learn that if I want a yield of a crop, I have to get out there and pull those weeds. Those weeds will suck all the energy, all the nutrients out of the ground. They'll, use all, they'll suck all the water. They will outgrow it and suck the sunlight away from your plants if you let it. You have to get out there and get the weeds out of the way because it will devour your plant if you let it. Another agricultural thing, something that happened regularly there in Israel at the time. <clears throat> but other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop and it sprung up, increased, and produced some 30-fold, some 60-fold, 
and some a hundredfold. Now, I understand the average yield back then was between 7.5% and 10%. And Jesus is telling a story about 3,000%, 6,000%, 10,000% yield, something they never heard of. So he tells this story about farming. Then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when we get into the the reason he's teaching the parables, which is the next verses, you'll see why. But he wasn't talking physically about people having ears. He was talking people being in tune. And that's what I want to talk about. So as we get to verse 10, we say, But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Now they had enough sense. I like that. They had enough sense to know who to go to for the answers. They didn't try to figure it out on their own. They didn't try to put their heads together and say, I think we're smart enough, we can do this. They went right to the source. And that's what we need to do. When we don't understand God's word, we need to go to the source. And, and he said to them, to you it has been given the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. That's verse 11. <clears throat> verse 12 says, so that seeing that, they, seeing that they may see and not precede. So they're going to see it, but they're not going to perceive it. They're not going to understand it. And hearing that they may hear and not understand. They're going to hear it, but they're not going to be able to understand. You ever talk to somebody about the Lord, and they look at you like you have two heads? Because they can't understand it, because the logic the Lord has is not the world's logic. And lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. You know, this is a very troubling verse because it says he's given up on these people that he's done all these miracles. These Pharisees and Sadducees, he's saying there's no hope. He's saying he don't want them to have a chance because they might be forgiven. They have done, it. they have, well, the things, the great things that he did through the, the great things that happened through him, they said Satan did them. So he's saying there's no hope for him. So then we see in 13, he says, uh, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the other parables? And I think it's so important that just like I said, evangelism is the bedrock of our life. This parable is the bedrock of all the other parables. First off, you understand the parable of the wheat and the tares. You understand the parable of the mustard seed. You understand the parable of the dragnet. All these things are talking about how you need to evangelize and not worry about the ones that didn't make it. Just keep on evangelizing and let me bring people to you. And that's what you need to do. And so he's saying, you need to understand this parable in order to go any further. The guidance you need is right here in this parable. He starts off with explaining it in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. Pretty simple. The seed is the word of God. You know, I, I remember a sermon I heard years ago, a man, an older preacher saying, the sower sows the word. And that should be done the exact same way now as it was then. And as he was saying this, he was kind of knocking contemporary Christian music, I think, because he didn't like it. But I said to him afterwards, does that mean that Jesus had an organ and a piano there only? Was that all that he had? And it's not talking about the delivery method. Now, I will tell you this, he was almost right as far as I can see because the seed should never change. God says the seed is the word. 
The word should never change. How it's delivered is going to change from, from decade to decade, from sometimes year to year. But the word should never change. The delivery method a sower uses today is different than the delivery method the sower used 2,000 years ago. Now they have big equipment. They do, you know, acres at a time. It's so much easier on them. But guess what? The seed is exactly the same. The seed didn't change. The corn seed is a corn seed. Tomato seed is a tomato seed. It didn't change. And God's word can't change. So the delivery possibly could change. That's not the issue. That's not what the Lord's looking at here. The Lord's saying the seed is the word of God and it needs to stay the same. So the seed is the word. Verse 15 says, and those are the ones... And those are the ones by the wayside where the word was sown, where they heard it. Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So these are people that never understand or want to understand. It superficially bounces off of them. It's just, they're there. You give them the word. They don't even let it absorb into them in any way before Satan comes along and plucks it right away from them. And as a Christian, I'm sure you've met people like that. But I also will tell you this. I've met people like that, and years later, those people come back and ask questions. And you realize they weren't really like that. They were hard at the time, but the Lord had to soften them up. That's why it's so important as evangelists to preach God's word all the time, regardless of the audience, regardless of who it is. And... uh Verse 16 says, And those likewise that one sown on stony ground, whom when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and they had no root in themselves, and so endured for a time. Afterwards, the tribulations and persecutions arised in, uh, for the word's sake. Immediately they stumbled. You know, as a young man, I can remember church elders telling me, well, we're not going to do that. We would like you to be on the board, but we really would like a seasoned Christian. Boy, I'd get mad. (laughs) But they were right. They were absolutely right. Because I could have let it spring right out of me with no foundation and look really good for a while. And the minute something happened, the minute a storm came in my life, the minute bad things came in my life, I might have showed my true colors, repenting back with no foundation, going back to my old ways, turning around. So they were absolutely right. There's something to be said about seasoned Christians. Of course, now I'm a seasoned Christian. I can say that. (laughs) But really, it is something to be said about. You know, when you've walked the walk and you've seen the good times and you know to give God the praise, and when you've seen bad times and you know where to go for help, and you can feel that contentment even in bad times, you know the Lord's growing you. You know the Lord's working. But when we spring right up, and I've known many people that have gone to a meeting and said, I, I received the Lord. And it isn't a month, two months later, they're right back to what they were doing before and not wanting to talk about it. Because the foundation and the roots were not set there. That's why it's important as a young Christian, if you know anyone that's a young Christian, get them with someone that can mentor them. Get them with someone that, that can disciple them. That's a good seasoned Christian. It's very important to do that because the world can get you away. We're going to see that in a minute. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Um, and now the, the, the ones sown among thorns, which is verse 18, they are the ones who hear the word 
and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things and uh, enter into choking the word and it becomes unfruitful. Unfruitful. That's what I was talking about. When you grow something with, with uh, seeds, I mean, when you grow something with roots, with, uh, again, in a minute, weeds, um, when you grow something with weeds in it, it sucks the life out of them. They do not produce. They do not produce fruit. Sometimes they'll get green. Sometimes they'll look good, but they just don't produce fruit. The cares of the world will do that. One of the things I used to hate to hear from people more than anything else is, that Christianity you talk about is good, but it doesn't work in the real world. <laughs> I, would, I, I could feel my blood pressure going up because it's all about the real world. If you want to succeed in the real world, you got to be a Christian. If you want contentment in the real world, you got to be a Christian. Christianity is built for the real world. It's not built for Sunday and only Sunday. So we got to realize true Christians thrive in the real world. They thrive. Why? Because they have that peace that passes all understanding. Because they have the Lord beside them fighting every battle that they have in front of them. And sometimes them battles are tough. Sometimes they're the toughest things in the world. And I got news for you. Sometimes you wouldn't get through them if you weren't a Christian. So you got to stay close to the Lord all the time. The thorns of the world will get you every time. So remember what Jesus said in John 17. He wants his people to be in the world, but not of it. So it's important for us to be in the world, but have that peace of mind that only he can give. And then, and then there's a uh, 19 says, and the cares of the world, oh, we already did that, 20, which is the last verse, but the ones that are sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60 some 100 fold. And as we bring this to a close, I want you to remember if you evangelize, you will get that yield, that 30 fold, that 60 fold, that 100 fold. But you'll also get the seeds that get swallowed up in the thorns. You'll also get the seeds that didn't have enough roots to survive. You'll also get the ones that Satan just plucks right away. This is why it's so important from day one to be an evangelist and not worry about your audience, not worry about who it is you're doing it for, not worry about any of that. Just be ready to show people the true Jesus that's in you. So as we bring this to an end, we can let the prayer team come up. We can stand if you'd like. I'll close us in prayer, but I want us to remember, this is the first of many, many teachings that Jesus had in parables. He taught us many things. Come Wednesday night and learn about a different parable. I can't stress enough how important it is. If you ever want an exhaustive, fantastic study that will take you probably years, study Jesus' teaching. He taught with sermons. He taught in a synagogue. He taught with parables. He taught so many different ways. He taught with his actions. But it's all about us. It's all about us as sowers of the word. Let's start doing that today. Let's let Jesus be front and center in everything we do. Let's be evangelists in everything we do. Before we open our mouth, give a prayer to the Lord.
before we take an action, give a prayer to the Lord. Ask the Lord to lead and guide. Ask him to let his light shine through you. And if you don't know the Lord and you're here and you're not sure, please come up and let the prayer team pray for you. Nothing is more important than getting your foundation, getting your roots set in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can start having fantastic things happen. Not perfect. There'll be storms in your life, but Jesus will take those storms for you. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you sent your son and that your son gave us these fabulous teachings, Lord. I ask Lord, that we not take any of them for granted, that we dig into each and every one of them, Lord. And as we do, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you reveal it to us, Lord. Let us let your light shine through. Let us be part of your army. Let us be part of your family, Lord. And as our relationship grows and as our worship grows with you and as our prayer life grows, Lord, let us become better evangelists. Let us become better letting your light shine through more of you and less of me. Father, be with us all, Lord, and let us just be able to walk closer to you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again so much for tuning in. I hope you were blessed by the service, and I hope God was really speaking to you. Let me encourage you to go to the church website at perryhall.life and click on the Jesus link. This will tell you a little bit more about how to get that personal relationship with Jesus Christ to make him Lord and Savior of your life. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you tune in next Sunday at 11 a.m. as well. Thank you, God bless you, and have a great day.